Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Whether you are a Mac user or a PC user, you can agree that Steve Jobs was a remarkable human being. I got no amens in the house today. It's like I'm talking to myself today. So I'm going to say that again. Was Steve Jobs not a remarkable visionary human being? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Price is a little bit too high? Absolutely. But he was a remarkable human being. And I love in the movie that Ashton Kutcher, who played Steve Jobs in the film that came out a few years ago called Jobs, I love the trailer. I was looking at it this week on YouTube. And in the trailer, Ashton Kutcher playing Steve Jobs is looking at this in the garage in which Apple was birthed. He's looking at this makeshift personal computer and he's sitting in front of it and you could just see his eyes. If, you're, if you've seen the trailer, his eyes are just looking at this thing. And as if he's looking at it, and by today's standards, it's primitive. It's like, what, what, what was the big deal? But he's looking at this personal computer where nobody was in the public using personal computers. And he's looking at it and he's looking past it. He's looking at it intently. He's looking at it with vision, which is what leaders have. Because he can see that what this thing is about to unleash on the world is going to radically transform the world. And he could see that as he was there in front of that personal computer. I want to talk to you today about another most remarkable human being that ever walked the earth and he still lives and reigns today. Amen? His name is Jesus Christ and he's there on the Mount the Mount of Olives. He's looking across the Mount of Olives and he's looking at the temple. And as he's there with his disciples, they ask him a question. They want to understand about when the end is going to come, when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And he's looking at the temple of Jerusalem, but he's looking past the temple at Jerusalem. He's looking down to the 21st century. He's looking down at Vienna in the 21st century. And he's looking down just before his second coming. And he says, hey, there's going to be some signs that are going to take place. And these signs, sometimes we get this wrong. The signs are not anything new. These things were happening prior to Jesus saying this, while he was saying this, and they were going to happen after he was going to say this. But what he said is these are the beginning of sorrows in Matthew 24. In other words, sorrows there is referring to birth pains is what it says in other translations. It's referring to any mothers in the house that have had children. Amen? Right. And so mothers, you know that when you have a child, right, the, the, the contractions, right? My, my, my sister-in-law is getting ready to have a baby. Probably even as I'm talking to you right now, she may even have the baby. I don't know. But you understand that birth pains are basically like contractions. Basically, they happen and then they begin to get more frequent and then they begin to, begin to get more intense until, ta-da, you have a baby. Amen? And this is what Jesus is referring to. So he's saying one of those things, of course, false 
prophets, false messiahs. We understand that. He talks about stuff in the, the natural disasters, earthquakes, and wars, rumors of wars. And he talks about pestilence. And we're seeing that right now. Coronavirus. Right? And so it's kind of like we're living in the best of times and the worst of times. Because on one end, we're going, oh, that's just really bad. People are getting sick. Some people are dying. God, oh, Lord, have mercy. And we pray and we see what ways we can minister to people. But at the same time, we go, hey, I'm almost home. Am I right? We see these things happening. We should also say, hey, we're almost there. It's like we're on the journey. We're on the street. We're on the road. We're on the highway. And these are indicators that we're getting closer to our destination. And Jesus says, look, there's something that I need you guys to be about. And it's in verse 14. This is our key text today, okay? And he says, this is what the sign is. Everything else I was telling you was just the beginning. It's just the contractions. But you want to know what's coming? Here's the thing that's going to be that which ushers in the second coming of Jesus. He says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached or announced in all the world as a witness to all nations and when? And then the end will come. That will come is assurance. That's confidence. That's absolutely. You want to know when the end's going to come? You guys can actually help me usher it in. When the gospel is communicated and announced to the entire world, that's your world. That's all the spaces and places in which you do life. This gospel of the kingdom shall be... Now watch this. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. He says this before he goes to the cross. Did you notice that? And he said, this gospel of the kingdom. I want you to watch where I'm going this morning. Because this same thing that Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, gets repeated and unpacked in the last day context. John the Revelator, when he was following Jesus at this time, when Jesus was talking about the gospel of the kingdom, right there on Mount Olivet, now he's an old man. He's on the mount, he's on Patmos, and he's getting the revelation from Jesus now. And Jesus is now going to give some more details to this gospel of the kingdom. Are you ready? Math, uh, revelation 14. Revelation 14. All of a sudden, all the Adventist ears should be perking up right about now. Revelation 14, 6 to 12. We're not going to read all of it, but you should know this part by heart, right? Because it says this. As a matter of fact, maybe I should put it up on the screen for you. Okay. You want to look at it in your Bibles? You want to look at it on the screen? It says this. Then you want to repeat, you want to, we can repeat it after me. Okay, ready? Then I saw, ready? Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of what? Heaven. Now understand here that the book of Revelation is a prophetic book with signs and symbols. It's in the spirit of the Old Testament prophets. So there's a lot of poetic imagery. Some things are literal and some things are used figuratively. And the word angel here is referring to messengers. It's capturing God's people, us, okay? And we have a message to share. And when it says flying in the midst of heaven, it's saying it's happening rapidly. It's moving fast, okay? So th there's something that's being communicated here by God's people. And it's happening rapidly around the world. That's why there is a globe right there in the slide. You follow? And this thing is going fast. Okay, what's going fast? What's being communicated? Here it is. Having the what? The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the what? On the earth. To every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and people. There's no, like, two gospels, family. 
When the Bible uses the word gospel, which I'd like to, I would like to suggest to you that the entire Bible, by the way, is the unfolding of the gospel. It's fulfilled and it comes in time through Jesus Christ and the four gospels are capturing that, but the, the entire Bible is declaring the storyline of the gospel, okay? And here's what I want you guys to understand here, that when, that when John is writing this, he is unpacking what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. This is what he's referring to. This is what it looks like when it's starting to be fulfilled and what comes after it now. Some of the details of this gospel of the kingdom that has an end time context. Same gospel that Paul preached, same gospel that Jesus lived and preached. But understand that this has an end time context. That's what's going on in Revelation 14 here, okay? And in essence, the first angel is saying, look, the king has won. Meaning Jesus, okay? The king has won, therefore worship him without fear of the judgment. Second angel is basically saying, and that other kingdom has lost. Okay, it's fallen. These systems of the world that are against God has fallen, against God and his people, has fallen. They've lost. And then the third angel is in essence saying, hey, don't receive the mark of those who lost. Choose the one who won. And then in, in, in verse 12, here's the resistance movement of the kingdom. Here's God's people. They are keeping the commandments of God not to be saved, but because they are saved, because they have the faith of Jesus. Are you following that? Therefore, all three, all of those threefold, that threefold message, which is really just one message, which is the gospel of the kingdom, is good news. Why is it good news that the other system, second angel, has fallen? It's good news because that system is causing all kind of problems on the earth, including persecution of God's people. Good news, right? And it's good news. Look, trust in Jesus. Choose the one who won. Don't receive the mark of the one who lost. Good news. And here are the people who have received that good news. That's how it's concluding in verse 12, all right? Are you following me? Are you with me this morning? Are you still awake? All right, now here we go. This is what Jesus is passionate about. Please understand that when Jesus, in Matthew 24, 13 says this, he says this, I mentioned it a little bit, uh, a few moments ago. I said he said it before he went to the cross. This gospel, he said, of the king, this gospel, he said it before he went to the cross. So watch this. He's got the same passion. He's still talking about the same thing. The kingdom of God is the main thing that Jesus keeps driving home at throughout the entire gospel narrative, okay? Now watch this. We talk about the Great Commission. There's three, uh, in the gospels, there's three Great Commission texts, right? It's there in, Ma in Mark, it's there in Luke 24, and in Matthew 28, which is the one that we're most familiar with, okay? I would also um, suggest to you that Acts chapter 1 is also capturing the same scene. So the same great commission is being captured in Acts chapter 1. But we're just going to look at these, these familiar uh, three gospel great commission texts. Are you with me? Now watch this. Let's follow this. Okay, watch this. Mark 16, 15 to 16, it says, and he, now Jesus speaking, great commission. He says, go into what? All the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Is this sounding very familiar to you? Yeah, it should be. Jesus has the same vision like Steve Jobs as he's looking at that, as he's looking at that pr primitive Apple computer, right? He's going, look, here, here's Jesus' mission statement. He says, look, go, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be what? 
saved, but he who dwell, he who does not believe will be condemned. All right, now let's look at Luke. Luke says this. Now this is, this is capturing the same moment, but here's the, here's the, the details that Luke is filling in. All right, then he said to them, thus it is written. And this is Jesus speaking to the disciples in the upper room. Thus it is written, as it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance, so repentance is involved, okay, and remissions of sins, forgiveness of sins, should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And that's why I say Luke now also writing in Acts is basically expounding on this and continuing the gospel commission in Acts chapter 1. But then there's the one in Matthew that most of us are familiar with, and it says Jesus speaking to them. It says all authority, that's kingdom authority, we're going to unpack that in a second, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Don't miss that part. And on earth. Go therefore, in the Greek it says, as you are going. In other words, as you're going about life. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the of the age. He did not give that commission just to pastors. He didn't give that commission just to seminary graduates. He did not give that to those that can preach really well. Because when we hear the word preach, we think of what I'm doing right now, and he's actually just saying announce. You can do that over some food. You can do it in a small group. You can do it on the phone. You can do it on the internet and social media, okay? And, and so what you get from these, what you get from these three gospel, these gospel great commission texts, in essence, is this. Preach the gospel, make disciples, as you're going about life. Did you catch that? Preach the gospel, make disciples, as you are going about life. That's it. It's very simple. It's why you're here. It's why you were created. It's why you were saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Does that simplify it? Does that help us? Does that condense it? Does that grab what's there in Matthew 24, 14? What's there in the three angels' message? What's there in all three great, great commission texts? Preach the gospel. Make disciples of those that respond to the gospel. Amen? So if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're told, see, whenever, whenever a local church has a mission and vision statement, it's just contextualizing the Great Commission. The CEO has given you his mission statement. And you have basically just contextualized it in language in your day and age, but you're basically saying the same thing, or, or should be, that Jesus said. So when we say here at Vienna, which I'm really passionate about, is reaching out in love to make disciples for Jesus Christ, that's what we're talking about. Are you good? Okay, so watch this. Preach the gospel, make Disciples, but watch this, even though those are central to the Great Commission, and by the way, it's the Great Co-Mission. Co-Mission. We're co-laboring with Christ. He's already out there in the community. He's already on the job, in your family, reaching hearts and preparing them for you to go and share the gospel. We're just joining him in what he's already doing. Are you hearing that? All right, if you're with me, say amen. Okay, so watch this. You're joining Jesus. Are you following me? Okay, so as you join Jesus, you need to be really clear about what's there in the Great Commission. Are we right? Are we not? Okay, so we, what we need to understand is then, what is the gospel in making disciples? Because watch this, a lot of us, as, I, as I've been raised as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and as, I, as I've been pastoring now for almost seven years, there's some fuzziness around some of these things. 
And instead of calling it the Great Commission, I think sometimes we need to call it the Great Confusion. And I'm going to take three messages to unpack this. And today, I think we need to ask the question so we can get crystal clarity on what we're supposed to be doing, what our purpose is. There's a lot of books out there right now. What is my purpose, right? And we need to now flesh this out on what does this mean for me right now in the midst of coronavirus? Because Jesus was saying this in the context of those things rapidly increasing. This is what my people are about. This is, what, this, is what's, this is what's moving them and getting them up every day, okay? So we need to ask the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, I can already hear somebody say, hey, CJ. Hey, look, the gospel is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? That Jesus went to the cross, I'm forgiven, I'm free, I'm redeemed, we sang earlier. And to all that, I would say, amen. As a matter of fact, isn't this what Paul was getting at? When he wrote to the church in Corinth, there in Greece, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ did what? He died for our sins according to the what? Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And I would say, amen, Paul. And you all should say, amen, Paul. Yes, the gospel, the cross, rather, is central. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is central to the gospel. Well, we've got a problem, though. We've got a problem. Because watch this. The gospel of the kingdom was preached before the cross. See, I think we can all agree that the cross is central. Don't move that. That is you cannot touch that. That is the core of the gospel. But it was preached before the cross happened. Watch this. John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I mean, uh, CJ, rather. This, th th he didn't say the words gospel. Well, he kind of did. Because watch this. Jesus picks up. And if you're reading in Matthew, it's, it's very clear. But Mark is basically commenting on the very same thing. Okay. Uh, Matthew 4, you see Jesus picking up the very same thing. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now Mark, and the reason I chose Mark's rendition of this is he just explicitly tells you what Jesus was doing, which is what John the Baptist was doing. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, Jesus the Messiah, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the what? Had he gone to the, had he gone to the cross yet? No. Hmm. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. What time was he talking about? The 70-week prophecy, Bible students in Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 26, right? The time prophecy. There in AD 27, when Messiah would be anointed. That's what happened. The time is fulfilled. He was anointed by John the Baptist there after, during his baptism by the Holy Spirit. He's basically saying, hey, that happened. Time is fulfilled. Boom, boom. The kingdom is at hand, all right? But watch this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the what? Believe in the what? The gospel. No cross yet. That's three and a half years later. So again, this begs the question then. What is the gospel? I want you to understand that the gospel, that term, means, of course, good news. We, you know, go through time and through the English language, gospel was God's spell, 
and then it kind of became gospel, but it's good news, okay? Now, what is this good news of the kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about that happened and that was preached before the cross? So you got to understand how this was used. This was used in, in, the, in the cultural context of the day, even prior to the Roman Empire, okay? But it was used, it came, uh, came up to a kind of a climax at the time of the Caesar, particularly Augustus Caesar. And here's basically what happened. If you were a citizen of a kingdom and your king went out and conquered, he defeated his enemy, then a messenger or a herald would be sent back to the kingdom. And that herald would come with a message. And he'd say, good news, the king has won. You can remain under the reign and, and, and under the freedom of his reign. Good news. The king reigns and the king is victorious over the enemy. Now, there are some churches outside of this one that just letting that escape my lips would have just caused the whole church to be in an uproar. And something tells me that those that Jesus entrusted with the gospel of the kingdom given to us again in Revelation 14 should be just excited, if not even more excited about that. The king has won over who? The enemy. The devil. Jesus is alive and he has already conquered Satan. You guys understand the war has been won. Controversy is over. There's just little battles taking place. And of course, it's going to be the building up to the Armageddon. But the devil, you guys understand the devil knows that he's lost, right? He's just crazy. Sin makes you stupid. It is insane. I'm not even joking to you. You do things that you just, you, Paul in, Revel, in, in Romans 7, I, things I, I do I wish I didn't do. And the devil's basically going out in a blaze of glory. He knows, he, that's why the Bible says he's roaring like a lion because he knows he has a short time. He's making a whole lot of noise because he's scared. I wish believers would walk around like they believed that, Mark. That the devil is acting up in your life. He's coronavirus, all this craziness going on in the world because he's scared the king who has already conquered him is coming. And so we need a working definition based on what we've talked about so far. We need a working definition. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Here we go. The preaching of the gospel of the kingdom is the announcement. It's the what? It's the announcement of the good news of God's reign. Now watch this. Reestablished on earth. Reestablished on earth through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and through his spirit-filled followers. Are you with that? Let's do that again. The preaching of the gospel of the kingdom is the announcement of the good news of God's reign reestablished on earth through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and through his spirit-filled followers. This is what it means when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom. This involves both the preaching of the gospel and the making of disciples. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is what the three angels' message is about. This is our life. This is it. And why do I say reestablished? The reason I say reestablished is because when you understand that when, when God created the world and the universe, everything existed under God's reign of love. Amen? You see, God's kingdom and his reign is based on who he is. God is love. 
Every nation, every government, every kingdom has laws. That's why his laws are laws of love. If you've understood it any other way, you've heard a lie. The commandments are about love. Jesus said that. Love to God, love to each other. His kingdom is about love. Anything you see happening in the Bible is about God's character and his ex the expansion of his reign of love. Other-centered, self-sacrificing, giving love. Even his judgment and wrath. He's slow to anger. He's not willing that anybody should perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance and be saved. God is love. Therefore, his reign is a reign of love. Okay? Everything has existed under this reign of love. Earth and, and the heavens has always existed, from eternity past, that is, under God's reign of love with one exception. Lucifer, who made himself into Satan. You understand God didn't make Satan. He made Lucifer. Lucifer made himself into Satan. In his Make the Universe Great Again campaign, which was already great, because it was all under the reign of God's love. But he said, no, come follow me. And so he started this rebellion campaign, and everybody else was like, no, I'm sticking with God and his reign of love, and questions I have about what you're doing, well, let me see what God's going to do to, to, to clarify that. Okay, we call that the great controversy theme. It's a part of the storyline of the gospel. Okay, and so now he comes to planet Earth, and planet Earth, guys, watch this. Let me see if I have this on the, on the screen here. If you are in, actually, no, I don't have it here, so let me just go ahead and just share it with you here. If you are in Genesis, what book did I say? Genesis chapter 1. If you have time, if you want to just go ahead and quickly look there. Genesis chapter 1. And here's what it says. Because we're asking, why is he saying reestablished on the earth? Watch this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And I love how it reads in the New Living Translation. In the New Living Translation. Watch this. It says this. Then God blessed them, speaking of Adam and Eve. By the way, Adam and Eve were co-equal king and queen rulers of the earth. Here's what the Bible says. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Your translation may say have dominion. That's kingdom language. Okay, there's a reason why that's there. Reign over it, New Living Translation. Reign over it. Reign over the, the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along on the ground. Adam and Eve... Even though God is love and he is the king of the universe, amen? He, re he rules and reigns over everything, but God is a God of love. Therefore, his leadership is about shared leadership. He delegates leadership and authority and responsibility. So though he rules over everything, he says, Adam and Eve, my children, reign over earth for me under my reign of love. Does that make sense? Okay, so he delegates authority and responsibility. So watch this, earth is ruled by humanity, by Adam and Eve equally, okay? However, when the devil brought his rebellion and sin and selfishness campaign to earth and put the ballot box there in the garden, he basically was like, hey, vote for me. And unfortunately, through deception and usurping of God's authority, what happened? We voted for him. And so by voting for him, what did we do? We plunged earth under the reign of Satan. That's what sin is about. Sin says, scoot, scoot, God, you get off the throne of my life. I'm going to make decisions and choices to do things my way. That's, that's, that's the reign of Satan there, by the way. There's no neutral there, okay? 
And so when you want to live life outside of God, outside of his character of love, his law of love, you're basically sinning. And so therefore, they plunged earth under Satan's reign. That's why whenever you see sin, death, destruction, whenever you see racism and injustice, you see plagues and all this kind of stuff, this is the reign of Satan. You following me? As we quickly rush to the cross now, I want you to understand that what's happening there in the Garden of Eden is that they have fallen and they have given dominion. That's why the Bible says that the devil is the ruler of this world, up until the cross, that is. But they say that he is the ruler of the world. You know why? Because he received dominion that belonged to Adam and Eve. But God's response to our fall was not to throw us into condemnation. Hallelujah. God's response to our mistakes and sins and kind of putting ourselves under the reign of Satan was not to immediately nuke us, right? God's response to the fall was a promise. A promise that the seed of the woman, that's Jesus, would come through the descendants of Adam and Eve, through Abraham, and ultimately through David as king. As Messiah. Because he says, I'm going to crush your head, Satan. That's what he's saying in Genesis 3.15. First announcement of the gospel. You're not getting away with this. You took my children. You've kidnapped them. But you're not getting away with this. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to crush your head. You're not getting away with this. You don't rule this world. This is the setup now for the rest of what flows after it. Throughout all the Old Testament, it's God's promise of faithful love. Jesus is coming, the rightful ruler, the second Adam, the new Adam, the better Adam, the sinless Adam. I'm getting happy up here. The faithful to God's love Adam is coming. The new human that's going to be the corporate representative of all of us who have failed at the whole being faithful to God project. Jesus is coming. He's going he's to defeat Satan. It sets up the New Testament. God's people now ushering in Messiah. That was their job. That's our job too. And they basically now were supposed to point the world and say, hey, he's here. He's going to crush Satan. You see, but the problem is we don't have the ability in, our, in, in and of ourselves to make ourselves right with God, to enter into life in his kingdom of faithful love. We don't have it. We actually deserve hell. Pastor CJ, what did he earn according to Paul in in, 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 in Romans chapter 6, C.J. earned death. C.J. earned hell, and so did you. So did Mother Teresa. You know, we say that, oh, so-and-so is a good person. No, you're not. No, I am not. In and of myself, I am not good. I don't have any goodness of my own. Neither do you. And you nor I cannot make ourselves right with God. We cannot place ourselves back into his reign of love. We don't have the ability to do it, so stop trying. You cannot do it. You cannot obey yourself. You cannot keep enough commandments to get yourself into God's reign of love eternally. You can't do it. Impossible. It would have to be from the moment you were born all the way till either you die or Jesus comes back. And even if you had one good day, you still would not be perfect in that sense. Because you have not lived in your entire life. That's what perfection is really talking about, by the way. You have not lived that life. But Jesus came. Somebody say amen. Jesus came and he lived a life of faithful love. And he himself embodied the kingdom of God. Wherever the king is, there is the kingdom of God. Jesus came and through his ministry, hallelujah, he crushed Satan and then he gave him the death blow at the cross. Because in Genesis 3.15, that's what it was saying. As he defeats Satan, he's going to get wounded. 
He will crush the devil's head. That's a death blow, but he's going to be wounded in the process, okay? Why did Jesus do this? Oh, and here comes the verse that most of us know. Most people that don't even go to church, that don't even want to grace the, 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 the building here at Vienna, is the verse that most of us may be familiar with. Why did Jesus do this? Jesus was having a conversation with Nicodemus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, hello, what's going on here? All right. <laughs> what did it say? For God so loved the world. You can put your name there, and it would still be beautifully true. For God so loved CJ. For God so loved Agnes. For God so loved Pastor Gary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, even the person you don't like, even the person that you may or may not have voted for, Whoever means whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's good news. But as I told you, we don't have the ability. We can't do it by ourselves. I want to show you a few verses before we close out. And here it is. We don't have the ability to do it, so God took the initiative. God said, I'm going to do what they can't do at Vienna on their own. And so in Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still struggling with addiction, Christ died for us. While you were still looking at pornography, Christ died for us. Matter of fact, before you were even born and he already took your existence into account, Christ died for us. You see, but what was his death about? You know, some people are a little bit, uh, still a little bit confused about that. And so here's what's going on. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, being justified freely. You see, when something's given to you for free, did you earn it? I'm just going to let that sink, okay? Being justified, freely justified there means making you right. You're not righteous. Jesus did that. He is righteous. And so he made you by his own initiative because God is love. He justified you freely. That's past tense. He justified you freely by his grace, unmerited favor, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul wants to make sure that you're not confused. And he clarifies this again in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by works, particularly the works of the law, not justified by your, you're not made right with God through what you do. So Paul's saying, Not by the works of the law, but by faith, that's trust, in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified, made right with God, by faith in Christ, and not by works. He just keeps repeating that again. Not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, he's repeating it again, no flesh shall be justified, no flesh shall be made right with God. It's real quiet in here. 
I really hope that this is just a refresher. But if it's not, listen to the good news. He even clarifies that for us now. Where do works play in? Because isn't that like some, isn't that involved somehow in the judgment? Listen to what he says. For by grace you have been saved. That's past tense. Are you hearing that? Yeah, are, are you hearing that, family? I really hope as Seventh-day Adventist Christians we get this really clear. This is central to who we are. We can say I am saved and be biblically correct in Christ. What happened at the cross when Jesus said it is finished, he meant what he said. Okay? He has made us right. He has justified us through faith. That not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But watch this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Get the order right. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to what this is saying. You're not saved by your works. You're saved for good works. I'm going to come on this side and say it again. You're not saved by your works. You're saved for good works. You're not saved by keeping commandments or the Sabbath. You're saved for it. The saving work is done by Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You respond to it. You say, God, thank you. And I hope you respond today. You respond every day of your life. Thank you, Chief. This is good news. You gave me the victory as a gift. Billion, trillion dollars of grace. It's yours, CJ. Do you believe it? Yes, I do. Good. Amen. I was waiting for you to say that, CJ. Now let me enter into your life and produce this beautiful fruit in your life. Okay? And again, just so we're not, you know, fuzzy, Paul says again, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore yesterday, tomorrow, every time you come to the text, it says now, after you have sinned, after you've done that thing you shouldn't have done, after you said that horrible thing to your wife, right? It says there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in what? In Christ. That means that you have chosen to believe, to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, that says now, even in the time of trouble. That says, that will always say now. If you believe. If you're in Christ. Okay? There is therefore now no condemnation, no lightning bolts coming from the throne of God towards your head. To those who are in Christ. But watch this who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, you've entered into a relationship with Jesus, and you're maturing. You might stumble along the way, but he does not remove the salvation. I used to grow up thinking that if I sinned, I forfeited my salvation, and I had to repent my way back into justification. That's a lie. You are justified by grace. And you have to, and it's hard to do this because God is persistent. But he's not going to let you go that easily. That's why we must not continue in sin. But the Holy Spirit enters into your life, and here's how he describes this beautiful thing as we close now. And praise team may want to come up. Paul says now in Romans 5, 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts, into your mind by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You remember I told you about the commandments are God's law of love? 
in the Old Testament says that he will give us a new heart. He'll give us a new, what, spirit, right? He's going to write his law of love on our hearts. How does he do it? Through the Holy Spirit. He's doing it. But it's happening. And by the way, what the Holy Spirit is doing is not what justifies you. That was already done. That is, an, that is a historic, objective fact. It has happened. Jesus didn't say it is partially done. He said it is finished. Now you respond to that. And you stay in that. And the Holy Spirit begins to do a beautiful thing in your life and brings you to maturity. I'm done. Do you believe the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? Is what you're sharing in your Adventist package good news? The three angels' message? Good news. The Sabbath, the sanctuary, good news. The health message, good news. How many of you want to say, Jesus, I receive the good news? How many of you have already received it, but you say, thank you for the good news? How many of you say, not only do I want to receive it and reaffirm it, but why? And by the way, that's what communion is, reaffirming it, okay? But I want to share it. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.